Thank you. Oh, I heard those good mornings back. Thank you. Um, it is so good to be with you this morning. Thank you for leading in that worship time, Janine and team. And I am thankful that we have proclaimed already this morning and be re- being reminded that God is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, and the light in the darkness. Just so good to start off that way. This past week, I had the privilege of dropping off my grandson, Tate, who is in grade one, at his school every morning at 8.30. Now, the thing that was so wonderful about this is because I often have these times where I'm having, I have moments about things, and so as I would watch Tate go into the school, because Tate looked so much like his dad did at that age, it took me back to the days of dropping off Tate's dad, Lance, at school. And I was remembering one of those moments, and it was Lance's first day of school. So we lived on a farm, and we rode the bus. The kids rode the bus. But on a child's first day of school in that community, um, the children would get on the bus, And the parents would get in their vehicle and follow the bus to school. And then when they got to school, help settle their child in on their first day. It was a nice thing that most people did. And so one of the things that I need to acknowledge is that perhaps Lance's experience on the bus ride and my experience in the car were two totally different things. So Lance's experience on the bus, he got on. I think he made some new buddies, some new friends. It was quite fun. My experience in the car behind was like, what is happening in the world? He's going so fast. He's grown up so much. Look, I put him in a bus. I didn't even check the background check of that driver. Like all these things. I'm worried. I'm concerned. And it just feels like forever that we get there, this separation. We didn't live that far from town, just telling you that. But anyway, it felt like forever. So when I got to the school, I anticipated this incredible reunion, because I had been having all of these thoughts and all of these things, and so I just anticipated that it was going to be like almost that movie running to hug, and he'd be so happy to see me, but when I got out of the vehicle and I stepped towards where he was with some of his friends, he actually took a step back, <laughs> and it was just like, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing, mom? And it was the first time that I actually felt that, don't embarrass me, mom. Don't hug me. And his eyes said, don't you dare kiss me. <laughs> and so I, uh, I had that first moment of trusting someone else with something that was very dear and very precious to me because also there I settled him in and then I'm trusting him with a teacher all day. And you know what? It's maybe something that we can laugh at, but actually the feelings were kind of real at that time. And if you've dropped a child off at school or taken a child to camp, you kind of know there are real feelings with that. But there are more serious feelings that come with the times when we have to release things or something that is very precious to us. Life comes with lots of pain and losses, of giving up and letting go. And you know, often we're rarely ready to let go. When we have no control and when there are circumstances that we can do nothing about, it's hard when we don't know the outcome. So I don't want to seem calloused or jump too quickly to what seems like a trite answer or a simplistic solution, but 
Today, we have the beauty and blessing of digging into our text around this incredible truth. That when we don't feel like we are in control and we don't know the outcome, there is someone that is in control, that does know the outcome, that does see the big picture, that's sovereign over all, and that's our God. He's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. So when do we, what do we do when we can't do anything more and the situation perhaps is even getting worse? So as we dig into the test today, I pray that you will sense God's presence, sense again, or maybe for the first time, his faithfulness, and grow in our ability to trust and release to God the things that only God can do. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this text that reminds us of your faithfulness. Lord, would you open up our hearts and minds as we've already prayed this morning to what you want to show us this morning. Lord, may the things of me be the things that fall away, but the things that are you, may those be the things that people hold on to, grasp, and those things that stick and stay with us. Pray this in your name. Amen. So last week, uh, uh, Pastor Reg started us off in our faithfulness series, and he um, answered and asked the question, why preach on Exodus? Now, the book of Exodus, he said, talks about a family, a group of people who lived through some good times and some hard times. We are a group of people, a family. We live through some good times and we live through some hard times. But Exodus is a book about God's faithfulness to his people. And so I'm so glad that last week we were, we were asked and encouraged to think about how has God been faithful to us. But I am excited about this morning's text because this is a Bible story that I've taught many, many times to children. And I'm used to children asking questions that challenge my thinking and understanding. So this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit nudges us in a way that challenges our thinking and our understanding. The responses we were asked to think about last week as we went into uh, through Exodus 1 was this. How has God been faithful, like I mentioned? And then there was two questions that might have been a little bit harder. What act of obedience is God asking of you? And will you trust him to lead you through it? Today's passage in Exodus speaks very clearly to an act of obedience that someone had to take not knowing the outcome. So in today's text, we meet Moses. And Moses, if I just did an overview of who Moses was, and we're going to talk about this over the next weeks, but Moses was the leader who led the Israelites to the promised land. He was a prophet who gave them the law and performed miracles. He was a judge who settled their disputes. He was the deliverer who brought the nation out of Egypt, and he was a mediator between the Israelites and God. He's the author of the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch, and so he's the author of Exodus. But through his relationship with God, we really learn a lot about God, and we get to know who God is. So it's worthwhile for us to know the history, to hear the birth story of this man that God raised up to be the rescuer of Israel and what that means for us. So after all the Egyptians had done to suppress the Israelites... They still grew in strength and number, and we talked a lot about that last week. And um, for those of you that that sermon is online, and it would, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it, it was really a powerful sermon, I would listen to it. But as they grew in strength and number, the Egyptians did another last thing. We want to talk about Exodus 1, This is what they did. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. It was throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. 
but you may let the girls live. This was another attempt to decrease their number and their strength. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, About this same time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married, and the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. So here we have a Hebrew family with a baby boy and an order that all Hebrew male babies were not to live. If we go to the New Testament in Hebrews 11, that we off, that's called like the, the heroes of faith. I love Hebrews 11. It tells us about Moses' parents. Hebrews 11:23. It says it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Other translations say they saw that the child was not an ordinary child, a beautiful child, a fine child. So you might ask, um, do we think that just because this baby was more beautiful, he was more worthy? But it's more than that. It was different. Because the Hebrew word for fine is tov. Now this, it means good and it means beautiful, but it's the same Hebrew word that was used in the creation account. When God, in Genesis, when God created the world, he said it was tov. It was good. And he created people, he said it was very good, very tov. So there was something unique, more than just beauty, something tov about who Moses was. But even knowing that, can you imagine trying to hide a newborn baby for three months, keeping him quiet? Those of you that have babies and children, could you imagine having that, that for three months, you had to keep your newborn baby quiet? That's a huge, huge amount of pressure. So what strong faith these parents had. We don't read in our text today, but we learn late, later that their parents' names were Jochebed, Moses' mother, and Amram, his father. So they had this strong faith, but also this incredible courage. Hebrews 11.23 says they were not afraid of the king's edict. They trusted God more than their fear. But there came a day when Jochebed could no longer keep this baby quiet or hide any longer. So in verses 3 and 4 it says this, But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds of the Nile River. And the baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. So recognizing the uniqueness of this child, the parents made every effort to preserve his life. Jochebed had probably watched other mums try to hide their babies and get found out and their babies were taken. The text says she placed the baby in a basket in the reeds along the bank. The word translated as basket here is the Hebrew word tava. Tava. Now the only other place that this word, this Hebrew word is used, is in the Old Testament in reference to Noah's ark and the story of the flood. The ark was the tava. So the ark and the basket, the same Hebrew word, the tava, it symbolizes God's hope and deliverance in places of danger and despair. So imagine the emotions. Like it makes my little bus story seem so small. Because I can't imagine the emotions, the feelings that Jochebed had as she placed him down in the reeds and backed away. 
Imagine being her as she left him there alone in the water. Yes, Miriam is watching, but there's so much unknown and what's going to happen. But she as a mother had to let him go, and she had to walk away. But something we really need to pay attention to is she didn't just let go and walk away. She let him go, and she trusted God. She trusted that God would do what only God can do. There are times in our life when we've done everything we've felt the Spirit not just to do, and we've done those things, and we get to that place where we really need to let go and trust God. Verse 5 says, Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to, the ba- to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. So Pharaoh's daughter, gone down to the river, notices the basket, the tavah, and she knows it's one of the Hebrew babies, one of these babies that she's been taught to fear and to hate. But her own heart is stirred by looking at him and hearing him cry. There is a bond of humanity in that moment, but there's something bigger. There's something bigger because God was in it. God was prompting and God was stirring. So verse 7 says, Then the baby's sister approached the princess and said, Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked, and, and yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. So this is her mother, her mother to care for her brother. So Jochebed got her child back at least for a while. Can you see the providence of God in this story? And often the providence of God gets confused or, um, you know, challenged with the word coincidence. But does this sound like a coincidence if I list these things? So number one, Jochebed just happened to put Moses in the right spot in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter just happened to see the basket. Moses just happened to cry at the right time. Miriam just happened to be by. Jochebed just happened to be available to nurse. And Pharaoh's daughter just happened to have enough influence to save the baby Moses. All of this reminds us of God's faithfulness and God's provision. So I asked myself as I go through this text, what does it look like to have that kind of faith, that kind of trust? I believe it's embracing this truth, and we sang about it this morning, but the truth that even when God seems silent, he is always working. He's still working, even when he seems silent. So has anything ever just happened to you recently that could be interpreted as coincidence, but you know really it was God? Sometimes we need to slow down. Maybe I'd say often. We should slow down and pay attention to his presence in our circumstances and actually thank him for his care. Verse 9 says she... Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So nurse him and you'll actually get paid for it. And so the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Jochebed got Moses back until he was weaned. Now, um, an important thing to know, according to Jewish custom, the time when a child is weaned is a cause for great celebration. But here's why. Um, 
there was a high infant mortality rate that existed during those times. And because of the risks that in infants faced, the celebration of a child's weaning was a natural and important part of their culture. If a child had developed past the need of needing physical support from the mother, that he or she had reached that new stage of life that greatly increased their likelihood of good health and long life, or longer life. So they would nurse their children for a long time. So it wasn't uncommon for weaning not to happen until the age of three, four, or five. And so I would think that Jochebed would have wanted to, to have Moses with her as long as she could. Those must have been very precious years. Years she had to love and influence her child for God. And those early, early years, those preschool years, they made an indelible impression on Moses, I would imagine, he learned about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the promises of God that God made to the Israelites. I would imagine if I was Jochebed and I had those few years, I would have done all I could to impress all of that on him. And perhaps he even learned what it means to have faith in God and fearless courage. But there came a day again when he grew older, when Jochebed had to let him go again. Let him go and trust God. So in verse 10, it says, later, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Moses means called out of the water, pulled out of the water, called out. So Jochebed, she's the one who took him to the royal palace. The princess didn't have to come and demand the child she took him. He went from her arms to the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. Again, the second time. I wonder, was that even harder than the first time? And we don't really know what kind of contact Jochebed had with Moses beyond that. There's all kinds of theories, but we don't really know. But I would have wondered if I would have been her. Would he be safe would he be treated differently because he was a Hebrew? Would he forget his family? Would we ever see him again? The love of both his biological and his adoptive mother shapes his values and his character. So in other words, these women not only helped him survive, and sometimes the story can be reduced to that and how it be understood, but they shaped his character. I believe he was brought up in a palace with the finest education, but he knew he was a Hebrew, and he knew the promises of God for the Israelites, which impacts the entire people of God. So Moses, the Savior of Israel, was born into the suffering of his people, was born under the sentence of death, was placed in the Nile, which was to serve as his grave, but was raised up out of the Nile to be the deliverer of his people. We often talk about the Old Testament foreshadowing things in the New Testament. So think of foreshadowing when you hear this. Jesus, our Savior, and the Savior of all humanity, was born into our suffering human state, sentenced to death, crucified and buried, but was raised from the dead to be the deliverer for us. So if we confess with our, with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, it says in Romans 10. So we come back to this question. What do you do when you can't do 
anything more. When you feel you've done everything God has called you to, nudged you to, and the situation seems the same. Well, in Hebrews 11, as I talked about those great crowd of witnesses, of, of, that, that people that did things by faith, I would say this can be an encouragement for us in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what we can do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set for us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Just as I close, I'd like to invite the worship band to come up. And I'd just like to say we see in this and we know that God is at work. God has a plan. He had a plan for Moses. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for our church he has a plan for our nation. And no matter how dark the days or how confusing the world is, God has a plan. Just ask, maybe God has brought something to your mind that you've been holding on to and you need to let go of. Maybe it's a dream that you've had for years and it's not coming true. Maybe it's something material, a possession you have. Maybe it's an attitude, a heart posture, a grudge, or some unforgiveness. Maybe it's someone, a person that you need to let go of and trust God with, and that can be so hard. Perhaps it's accepting that our present circumstances are for a reason, even though they're hard. Accepting that God wants to use us in that place as we let go of control and release the outcome to God. We do our part, our act of obedience, and then we trust God will do what only God can do. Perhaps you could even picture yourself preparing a basket. I did this this week. Preparing a basket, an ark of hope, a tava. And now it may take some time to think about that, preparing the basket, and that might be part of the processing. But then place that, that situation, that person, that dream in a basket and release it to God. But also picture the people that will stand around you just like Miriam. Your community who will stand with you as you release that. Do we hear the Lord saying it's time? It's time to let it go and trust me with it. Knowing that God will do what only God can do. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. And I thank you for the reminder today that you are at work, even in situations where it's hard to see hope. So, Lord, I ask for each person in the room and those watching online, I would imagine you've brought up many situations, many stories where it's hard to let go because we're holding on so tightly. So will you help us to replace our fear and frustration 
with trust in you. Will you move our eyes? Yeah, Lord, move our eyes to that great crowd of witnesses that we read about in Hebrews, but also to those that we know have gone before us in this world, that crowd of witnesses, and help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, to trust you when we don't know the outcome and we don't know what to do. Lord, because we trust you to do the things that only you can do. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.